This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, Johnny Verona is a firefighter from Lahaina who stayed behind to fight fire even after it destroyed his home. His wife is a firefighter as well. She was on shift too. We hear his inspiring story and his love for Maui. Are you okay with hot summers? What about mullets? All of that and more, including Brent Pushkarenko, Alberta Provincial Radio News Director for Chorus Entertainment, one of our Shifthead family members, spent years in Yellowknife working up there before he came back down here to Alberta, and he joined us to share his experience inside the city of Yellowknife and what that looked like. He helps us understand the complicated wildfire situation and how the community can escape this danger. This is the Shift Podcast. We saw the images after the fire started. I think the most disturbing ones were from the harbor back towards uh, Lahaina Harbor and the town of Lahaina. The fires in Maui came out of nowhere. And we can sit here and we can place blame and we can get frustrated and we can talk about the death and destruction. Um, it, it, you can see the photos. We'll post something up at shiftheads.ca. You can see the photos. That's not what we're here for. Yeah. What I wanted to do is I wanted to get into be introduced to a guy um, who, who was who was local. And I shared earlier in the week the story about my friend Todd. And, and the byproduct of that is Johnny Verona, which maybe I made a new friend today. I don't know. Um, that would be nice. So uh, when I texted my friend Todd, uh, who had passed away and I didn't know the person who now has that phone number replied back to me and gave me a link to a story about a firefighter from Lahaina that continued to fight fires after his own uh, house and family was affected by this. This is that guy. Johnny Verona uh, is a Hawaii resident. Um, you're not a native Hawaiian. Uh, you're from mainland and moved there and you're a firefighter in Lahaina. This is the dream, Johnny. You're supposed to be able to go to Hawaii. You live in paradise uh, you do all the things and, um, yeah. and these things aren't supposed to happen in paradise. How are you and how's your family? Are you okay? Uh, the family is okay. All the immediate family, um, we made it, um, our, our closest friends have all made it. So we feel very blessed, very lucky to have, uh, you know, everybody that's in our close circle with us, but obviously being in a, a community that we are with such losses, um, we're finding out more and more every day and hearing friends and stuff that didn't make it. So it's, you know, it's tough, but yeah, it was, you know, it was the dream. This was a goal. We, we made a lot of steps to move out here. Um, my wife's from here. She's a firefighter as well. She worked that night of the fire. I was home with the kids, but we, um, we made a lot of, you know, the, the goal was to move out to where she's from and, and live in Lahaina and raise our kids here. It's such a beautiful place. I mean, it's a magical place. I found, the spirit of Aloha, uh, just south of Lahaina. I mean, I remember the day I was driving and it was that raw beach, um, south of Lahaina that you sort of passed by. And that was where I got it. That's where it hit me. So for me, that place is incredibly special. Um, where, where do you go now? Your house was, was your house burned in this as well? Uh, just give us a bit of an update of where you are and what happened for you. Yeah. Um, our house is in, um, is in part of the impacted area. It was burned down the night of the fires. Um, we have since uh, relocated up to Napili, which you're probably familiar with. Yep. And uh, people were gracious enough to donate us a, a you know a house to stay in while we figure this out. So you know that 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 type of um, mentality, that giving, is is carrying a lot of people through this hard times. Um. Do you shy away from the phone calls right now? I mean, because 
It seems to me that every phone call, email, or text message could be bad news about someone else from your neighborhood or community or even from work um, that that didn't make it. Are you finding yourself a little bit shy to, to, to get more news, or have you just uh, been able to embrace it and walk through it at this point? Yeah, I mean, the phone calls I'll answer because it's typically good news. I, I haven't dug much online to see you know, any names released and stuff like that. Cause it, it is, it's a lot to look at the, um, you know, when, when you hear a name, you know, from a friend that, you know, it, it's a lot. So I haven't really been searching for that. Mm-hmm. Um, cause it's just, it's, there's so much to take in. And, and I think we need some, we need, we can't take it in all at once mm-hmm. and you can go down that rabbit hole of, of, uh, you know, getting online and, and getting caught up in all types of things. And it's just right now, there's so much to, to, to do that. We can't, I can't, we can't dwell on it either. You know? Yeah. And, that, and I know that sounds wrong. We're, we're going to be stuck in this, in this, um, this grief for a long time, but we also need to function and try and make the the steps now that, um, carry us, you know, set us up in the right direction to carry us through this, this whole recovery process. Yeah, what a crossroads it must feel like um, to be there. I mean, and, and I, I hesitate to say that you're lucky, but in a way, you you're professionally, you've been given the tools to disassociate um, a little bit and get the job done. And I'm assuming as part of your training or experience for you and your wife as firefighters, you've been given some of these tools to be able to manage what grief looks like, right? Like when you as a firefighter go to a car crash, uh, you have to get through the car crash and then step back and deal with the emotion that comes with that. Has, has that been a bit of a gift in this for you that others might not be able to apply to, to, to navigate this? Uh, I, that's, you know, it, it definitely is, is something that we've leaned on. It's definitely something, but there's no preparation for what we saw um, and what, what's happened and what we're going to be facing, you know, you can't, nobody's seen enough in their life or should have seen enough to be able to, to like wrap their head around and, and manage the feelings that's going to, that, that's going to come up. You know, we're, we're looking at the numbers are going to keep growing. You know, they're, they're not there yet. Or they haven't completed that at all. So, yeah. yeah. Well, and I, and I, I realize gift is completely the wrong word when I say that, but I can't think of anything else. Um, now, you as a firefighter, and I don't need you to explain it. I don't need anything um, uh, details. But I mean, as a firefighter, you've seen some ugly things. Um, I'm assuming this would rank up there in in the things you've seen where you go, "Whoa!" Like this is this one's going to take some time to get through. Yeah, absolutely. And there, there's so many different um, levels or facets that it's on. You know, there's obviously. We lost our house, but I mean, that becomes pretty irrelevant when you look at um, how many people lost their families and, and stuff. So, you know, and then we lost the town and how is it going to re- be rebuilt? There's just, you know, it starts to become overwhelming. You know, like, are we ever going to be able to move back here? Is is this, you know, how do you rebuild an entire town, especially one with such historical significance and how, you know, will you know, how do you recover from that many losses, you know, of families? And so there's just a lot of, uh, a lot of grief and a lot of uncertainty right now, what's going to happen, you know? And so the, you know, you don't, you nobody's prepared for all of these things all at once. Yeah. 
uh, Front Street was beautiful, and um, the pictures are are um, are devastating to see. Uh, community though, Hawaii as a community has always been that one of those magical things, right? I mean that that is the. I would say the backbone of the spirit of aloha. The spirit of aloha, for those who don't know, I mean, faith-driven, yes, but it's connection, right? The spirit of aloha is about connection, and and you you have yeah. a, a sort of a soulful connection um, that that brings everybody together, and then support of the community. Polynesian cultures in general, you see an awful lot of families at barbecues, um, doing things on the weekends, and all of that. How Johnny um, in in Lahaina, Hawaii in general, Maui, wherever it lands for you. Um, how have you seen that the beauty of community really shine here? Um, and if there's one person to name, cause you just want to acknowledge them, that's cool too. Um, uh, you have five people, I don't care, but how are you seeing community yeah. shine? I mean, it's, we've been, I've been through, I mean, basically everybody right now feels that they want to help and people here are helping everywhere you go. There's volunteers handing things out. Um, there's volunteers organizing lists, and and I think that's the big, the uh, you know having people that are here that know the people, um, that that you know know where to go, know what neighborhoods, who's going to likely to be where, having those people, and just seeing how they've organized themselves, gotten lists together, all grassroots with limited communication, and that's been a big challenge. Is that there's no cell phone coverage through most of West Maui right now, and so just the people being able to get together and, and kind of consolidate their resources on a grassroots level has been really impressive. And that's definitely that aloha that you're talking about. It's, um, it's quite fascinating. What do you need most of though? I mean, really right now, I mean, if you could choose one thing that, that we can, we can do, I mean, let's get to the list of, of, you know, the charities and, and not-for-profits and all that stuff in a second, but really what do you see right now um, that people people need because we hear in the the media stories of course there's like don't go to maui because there's too much going on but at the same time if you're going to kihei for example and um you can support the economy that way then maybe that's worth considering people have different opinions share yours if yeah, you want it doesn't matter but i mean wh what do you see that we need definitely different opinions on that um i i i would just say i'm sure other businesses on the other side would appreciate it. You know, I, I can't speak for them, but I got to imagine that they need to stay employed. They need to, you know, they need to pay their mortgages and, and all that. They need to raise their kids. So, you know, at the same time, obviously, this is not a place to come see. It's not a place that people even should be. It's, it's not a safe place right now as far as the air quality, um, the toxins in the ash and you know it's it's just and it's you know incredibly disrespectful to just gawk you know i agree to, yeah i mean there's there's that human um that human element i mean everyone gets curious in the, that sort of rubbernecking scenario and, yeah, and absolutely it, it's a piece of humanity because it's tragedy but at the same time this is not the place to tempt yourself um with all of that um help me understand where the fire uh, in the town went because uh, you know the, the main highway which is escaping me right now sort of you know that little bit of that the, setback yeah from, the Honopiulani highway yeah um, is ran through town it the they I don't know the last time you were in Lahaina it's been about six years they completed the bypass through yeah, that's so new. The, the, yeah. the highway goes through the upper portion of Lahaina Luna the neighborhood yep. Lahaina Luna 
and it you know it started somewhere in there i don't i don't have any of the exact details um right. but you know when i was at home uh, you know we we're just sitting at home with nothing to do uh power was out i smelled a little bit of smoke and i went out my door and saw the black smoke coming from that neighborhood so that's you know that's where it started and the winds were pushing downhill which you know, as part of the thing, that's not super common, and it's definitely not that common to have winds that strong. Mm-hmm. Um, but hang on just a sec, getting another call. That's all right. All right, there we go. So that was, uh, yeah, it started up around the upper portion of Lahaina Luna. We're talking about some. The basics here, you talked about ash, you talked about, you know, it's an unsafe hazard zone, but water, cell phone coverage, you said is gone. Um, things like, uh, you know, the tap water, is, is that stuff all been affected? Is it, is it literally that, that basic of the, survival the right now? The tap water in Lahaina, I mean, there, there's nothing, there's not much left of Lahaina and they've recommended to not, or to not use the tap water in Lahaina. So, I mean, really on the West side, um, Lahaina is shut down they have, they put up fences around the impacted area. You know, they're, they're not letting people in when they have national guard on posts and things like that. So it's definitely, you know, you're going out of your way to, to try and do anything in there. Um, but up North there are, you know, there is a separate community and that's where, um, a lot, some of the, a lot of the assistance ne- was needed. A lot of people fleed North the night of the fire and you know and stayed with friends and family and and that's where a lot of people kind of set up their temporary housing Mm -hmm. or you know where figured out where they're going to be at for you know until they figure out what to do it's a fire station burn in this no so i my kids to the fire station but you know as it as it ended up there was nobody there and i just i could not leave my kids at the fire station by themselves and go out so uh we eventually ended having ended up having to evacuate the fire station because the fire was heading that way uh fortunately it made it stopped a few blocks before um as you know some of the houses and thinned out and there was a couple other natural breaks in canada today uh i think you have to i want to share with you a bit of a gift that you're giving you're giving some insight so in canada today there's a, a community way up north called yellowknife and um, they're evacuating that city today. And um, they're flying people out. My son works at the airport. There's rescue flights and, and, and everything leaving that town. So your story also touches Canadians right now in a way uh, that, that is very personal too, uh, not just for you. I think the way that it connects for us here as well. Uh, Johnny Verona is with us. He's a firefighter in Lahaina. And uh, he, uh, you, you said, Johnny, that you, there's a couple of charity things. There's a couple of bits and pieces of how people can help from afar. Um, you know, what are you seeing there and where can we get started with the basics? Because, I mean, we will immediately be getting messages of people saying, how can I do something? Yeah, um, people, and because the, the communications are so limited, it's, it's hard to see which uh, larger funds are rising to the, to the top is kind of the ones to go to. I haven't been in uh in communication enough to know which one specifically but i'm sure you know the the international ones or the, the soup the larger ones are going to be easy to find online the yeah. local ones where you can get assistance directly to people that were involved um there's a maui firestore.com that's put on by it was a website that was already in existence 
they they're using it now to raise money for first responders in the area um but obviously first responders weren't the only people to lose stuff you know so i do have a um a spreadsheet that was just made grassroots of the different families that are in need um i can send that to you i don't it's not a public document it's not yeah. something that i want but it could be something that could be crossroads well, I think it'll be really great. I think what I'll yeah. do is uh, let's just set this up just informally now is um, send that to me for private. And then um, what I'll do is I will, anybody who reaches out to me, we'll just put, we'll just connect people in touch with the right organization that okay. way. So maybe right. I'll message you or whatever, and then we'll, we'll cross those private uh, wires when we can yeah. to allow people to, uh, to do that if they want to reach out specifically, because this whole notion of sort of adopt a family, if you will, um, is a great notion and a great way to support you know, person on person. I like that idea if we can. I mean, if, if, if Red Cross is, is what's best for you, then do that. Um, that's cool too. But the, um, if, if you want to get specific on it, we can help that as well. I also wanted to put out there that uh, the thing about Hawaii is all of the clothing companies, um, t-shirt companies, surf companies, all of that stuff. If you want to just do simple things, a lot of those people are donating proceeds from t-shirt sales, um, all that stuff too. So you're supporting jobs at the same time, plus you're supporting um, with some donations as well. So, you know, go search your, your Dekines and your Roxy's or whatever that's yeah. out there and the local, the local surf shop providers, cause they're doing a bunch too. Yeah. Um, I think the other thing that, you know, it's, it's not, a, sorry, it's not a specific foundation, but just to recognize how long-term this is going to be. I mean, obviously they're still searching for remains. It, that could take a while. I mean, this, nothing's happening fast here and and i'm not saying that's wrong i'm just saying that's the nature of this so people are going to need long-term help um, people are afraid that they're going to have to keep paying their mortgage on their land that's with a burned down house you know there, there's a lot of uncertainty so if yeah. i think the, the point i'm trying to make is this is going to be a long-term thing just to, just for people to be able to keep what they have left their lot and hopefully uh, be able to rebuild with the insurance money and there's definitely going to be a lot of underinsured or uninsured houses. There's yeah. a lot of multi-generational houses where the title isn't necessarily clear. You know, a lot of these things that are going to take a while and we're going to need long-term help get making sure that this community can be rebuilt with the people that are from here that have, you know, been here for generations. So um, just, you know, keep that in, or we're asking people to keep that in mind that this is going to need a lot of long-term help to make Lahaina anything like it was, you know, we don't, nobody here wants to see it become a cookie cutter neighborhood. Right. So. Yeah. Keep it special. Right. Um, Johnny, thank you for being so generous with your time. You have so much going on and you have chosen to spend it with us here. Uh, that's amazing to me. Thank you for that. Um, when you are ready to talk about the the experience of it the emotion of it the things that you're going through i hope uh that you're going to get that time soon when it's appropriate for you to process that we'll also be here to support you on that and any message that you need to get out um please do let us know because that's what we do here is we are a community of all across canada of, of radio listeners and we will do what we do so please let us know okay thank you i appreciate it shane this is the shift podcast Are you, are you, are you, okay, 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 are you okay with, you're welcome to share your thoughts on these stories that might make you ponder, 877-399-9898, are you okay with, 
hot summer weather. Hmm. Not this year, nope. No, it feels Why? like it's come with so much baggage. Every time the weather changes, it's just like another disaster after another somewhere else. It's brutal. You, like it feels like we haven't been able to go the entire summer with like two weeks in a row without somebody on one side of the country getting completely, you know, having their life upended by a fire and then it's relieved. And then, and to think that this has been going on since what May when in Alberta, when it all started, Mm -hmm. it's just really relentless. And it's not even fair because in Calgary, it was 35 degrees today and tomorrow it's, or today it's going to be 15, 16 degrees. There's going to be rain. I don't need that right now. BC needs that. And it's not even anywhere near that. It's going to be even hotter in BC tomorrow. It's just yeah. it's awful. Well, summer. let's get some specifics here because some of those numbers, we want to make sure that we're accurate. Okay. So, um, you know, we're about to get hit with this cold front that comes in here. In fact, the wind is going to slam my door. I might actually need to go because my door is open. Um, I think I'm okay. Um, if I jump away, I've just got to go close the door because the wind is really wept up, swept up here. Yeah. Okay, so the high for Vancouver, there's lots of smoke and stuff, is 22 for Friday. So not crazy hot. So that's the good news. And this is the stuff that's interesting. I mean, you got to remember, forest fires aren't necessarily... Oh, shoot. Hang on one sec, bud. I'll be right back. That's the door. Yeah. <laughs> you have to, wind in Alberta can go, go from being, oh, so pleasant, to being punched in the face with, with uh, like, it feels like a cinder block sometimes. So I didn't want yeah. to... I don't want the door to get torn off. Um well, it's working with the windows open. So we have to remember that fires aren't always caused by weather and fires um, aren't, you know, they could be caused by storms and stuff too. So we have to be really careful here. And this is why I wanted to bring up this conversation as part of, are you okay with, and we'll touch on the forecast for the day. It was forecast to be ridiculously hot in Kamloops on our friends on radio and out there um, on Thursday a little more relief for Friday, 26, chance of showers. Still pretty hot, 28 for Saturday and Sunday, too. So it's going to be a warm weekend there. There's heat warning alerts. All of the special um, highway alerts are there, and the hair quality with all the fires. I mean, things are not great for Kamloops at all. Now, Edmonton, 13 in rain for Friday. So that's drastically different, although there's a thunderstorm watch at the time of broadcast right here. Uh, Calgary is, uh, heat warning continues, but 17 for Friday. In fact, it's going to be 20 or less for the next four or five days. Winnipeg, 30 for Friday, still hot into the weekend, but then cooling off into next week. Trana, 21, 26, 29. And London, 19, 26, 28. Hamilton, you guys are about the same as Toronto. But here's what I wanted to do. Now, Ryan, you said it's been so hot. Oh, my God. I'm paraphrasing. Um, but of all of the high temperatures that we've had in the last week, I'll speak to my city, Calgary, because that's what I know best. In the last seven days... Here are the temperatures that we have experienced in Calgary, okay? Um, 24.5, So now there's no summary yet for the 17th because that hasn't been reviewed and published exactly right yet. Um, but the from what I can tell from the earlier data that I saw, the max on... Uh, the day for Thursday was 33.8. So we didn't get anywhere near 35. So here's the thing. And this is the thing that I think is really important. And this is why I ask it as an, are you okay? Of those days in Calgary, it's been hot. None of them are our record. And this is, and I'm so cautious because the narrative, and I, I had this conversation with my buddy Fred earlier, is that it's hot. And the narrative we're being told is that this is, the world is burning up. 
right? And I'm not disputing climate change, but climate change is not the weather. So if you hear on TV or the radio in conversation with people, people talk about climate change as weather, that's where we get ourselves into a pickle because climate change is incredibly important. We need to be very aware of it and follow the trends, follow the data. Here's what the data says over the last bunch of days, just so you know. The uh, the 23, 22, 28, those aren't records. The 14th, on the 14th, of um of august in calgary that temperature that day got up to 33 degrees okay on the 14th do you know what the record um is we tied it but we didn't beat it and it was from 1994 right so it's 30 years ago that it was this hot it was equally this hot 30 years ago. So this is why weather and climate change, it's so important that we're distinct when we talk about it. On the 15th in Calgary, 33.4. That sounds hot. And in conversation with some friends, I'm like, I don't ever remember being the forecast of 35 degrees. I don't ever remember these things. Well, we're not paying attention because according to the numbers, um, the way that this actually shakes out, 33.4 was the final high on the 15th. On the 15th, the record was 34.4. We didn't even beat the record. In fact, we were a full degree away from it. And do you know when that record was set? 1961. That's 60 years ago. It was this hot 60 years ago. It was hotter than this 60 years ago on that day. Right? So it's incredibly important that we create context because if we're going to say that climate change is a thing because of the data, because of the numbers, because of the trends, this is just one city, right? The weather is not climate change. And it's so incredibly important that we're distinct about that. In all of these days, all of the temperatures, and just to be clear, because we're trying to be accurate, the 17th has not been reconciled yet for the final numbers. But as of the morning of the 18th, we have not in Calgary come close, except for one day we tied to a record. And that one record, it was 60 years ago that it got to. So things to keep in mind when we talk about hot temperatures. And again, it's only one city. I realize we could probably dig up Kelowna. Like Kelowna's numbers um, are ridiculously hot. Um, but I can put it this way. Let me give you some, uh, excuse me, Kamloops numbers. So Kamloops numbers for the 18th, for Friday the 18th, the previous record, the forecast high is 20, Kamloops BC 26 for Friday, the previous record, 36.7 from 1967, from the 17th, where we had this 37 degree high, where it was scorching, oh my God, 1967, 37.8, that was a heat wave back then, right, not climate change. On the 16th in Kamloops, previous record, because it didn't get broken this year, previous record, 38.6. That was in 2008. 37.2 in 1967. In 2004 in Kamloops, on the 14th of August, 2004, 20 years ago, 39. August 13th, 2004, 38.7. Wanted to create some context to these numbers. Yes, it's hot. Yes, it's a heat wave. Yes, it's important. But let's not let this language get us caught in some sort of narrative that is distinctly not accurate. Now, how about we all go out and take care of the planet? 
and do a good job and not get tangled up in the drama. Are you okay with? Now, this is a tough one in the summertime because sometimes the hair hangs low. Are you okay with mullets? He asks the guy who's growing one. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And she's coming really well. Yeah, it's been about a year now, a year of solid uh, uninhibited growth uh, for my mullet, and I love it. How's it I looking in the it, back like, there? Of me. Show me. Huh? We're on a video call. Oh, let me see We're the back there. Let me move. Let me move. You can see. Let's realize it's the radio. Yeah, you got lots going there. Oh yeah, it's, it's got it's curling. It's starting to curl at the back now too, which is new for me. I I, I started to grow one because it, it was kind of a trend, not uh, from like the hillbilly sort of what you think of when you see mullets. Uh, but a lot of like, you know, just hillbilly <laughs> nerdy people and kind of uh, uh, a lot of queer people as well started rocking the look. And I really liked it. And uh, I got the mullet cut. I wasn't really sure if Laura was going to like it. And I don't know if Laura will ever let me get rid of it because it's it's good. I don't know. It's it's unlocked some fun. And I think my favorite part about it as a guy who's never had long hair in his entire life. When I mm. shake my head to the left or the right, I can feel my hair move. I can feel like the swoosh, the swoosh. And mm. that is a magical feeling. And I'm going to hold on to it. The salad, some may say. Oh, yeah. Oh, when it's it a big salad back there, bud. You can feel the salad. Uh, mullets for me, nope. Hair's too, uh, too, too fine. It's not thin. I got lots of really fine hairs. Bone straight. Me and Jono, bone straight hair. Um, not a lot of fun for us. Hey, Jono, when it grows out the sides, it goes straight out the sides, doesn't it? Yeah, I have really thick hair, and if I my hair grows out long, it ends up looking like an afro. Right, just straight out, right? just goes yeah. straight out. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, so you got to keep the haircuts up. We can't do what Ryan's doing. Mullet is very sacred, though. It truly is. It's special. The best of the best get together every year to crown a champion of the mullet whether it is the magical waterfall or more, the business in the front and the party in the back, there's an amazing champion with an amazing salad uh, for this year. Rory, what happened when you found out that you won? I was knocking down some chairs and hugged my whole family. And I also screamed. And how much money did you win? $5,000. And what are you going to do with that money? Buy my sister an alpaca. And what else? And go to wing night. Are you going to get just one alpaca? No, I'm getting three. One for my parents because one for my parents, one for my brother, and one for me. Because an alpaca can't just be one; it has to have a of. It has to have a herd of three. Look, they run a farm. They've done the research. Rory's 13-inch-long mullet sent him to the win with 16,000 votes. He says he is keeping this mullet at least until he's eight. (laughs) Right? I bet you didn't have alpacas and mullets uh, in the same story. No. I wasn't expecting that. I did not. I did not have that on my bingo card um, for the day today. Um, Confident little dude, though. Hey. Oh, he's adorable, and it is a like easily double the length of my mullet. Uh, double. Well, it's, it he's is a tremendous... probably a quarter of your size, in all fairness. Yeah, but like his hair is 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 very long. Like it's it's impressive. There's a reason he won. Hmm. Uh, the modern mullet, the undercut with the shaved sides and long in the middle. 
Um, there's the fades where you get the nice little fade going on there. There's the shaved sides, which is more like Ryan's. It's kind of like a mohawk style of mullet, shorter on the sides. Then you get yourself the French crop, which has got like some real defined lines, some big wavy curls, kind of length to it. Um, you know, there's a little short ones, a little bit more mohawky that are tight. There's the full on long hair rye. I think you should do like the 80s style with the wings, you know, get your skeleton hairbrush and do the yeah, wings on the side. Know. I don't my barber recommended another inch of growth and then, you know, we'll, we'll check and see. Uh, but, uh, I don't know. I've kind of now committed to, I'm going to keep the mullet for as long as Laura's in school, which is two years total, one more year and kind of see what happens when Laura gets back. See what mm-hmm. it looks like. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I think you should get a perm. I think you should go for a perm mullet. Oh, I think you could go for it. the pompadour, which is like a big blowout, feathery yep. looking you know big yep. tall one or i think you should go with the fringe go with a fringe mullet the mullet with bangs cut That's straight across kind of uh, mine is a combination of the fade and the fringe uh yeah. video of that kid ryan can put that up at shiftheads.ca in the facebook group so you can uh, see it as well um we're gonna have to find a link that we can do that actually works yes um the whole news thing yeah um but they're fine they're they're finding some workarounds there so we just have to yeah. find a youtube video or something we'll get that up there for everybody i was abc uh, news by the way that brought us that story the kid named his mullet by the way mm-hmm. as you should cheddar whiz but it gets better Here's what that little dude plans to do with his hair when he lets the mullet go. Give it to kids with cancer for wigs. Look, how cool like, is that cat? How cool is this kid? He's like six years old, and he's thinking about that. Unbelievable. Well, in all fairness, he's thinking about alpaca's wing night and being incredibly <laughs> and. generous with his hair. <laughs> yes. Right? <laughs> Cool stuff. The Pottstown boy and his hairdo came out on top of a field of 300 other mulleted kids, age three to eight. Second place award went to three-year-old Hawaii boy Ezekiel Arita and his hairstyle, Mr. Aloha Mullet. And the third place finisher was a five-year-old from Pennsylvania, Camden Cunningham, and his mullet, the commander, as in Camden, Camander. Very good. That was good. Mullet Champ said registration is currently open for this year's men's and over 55 mullets. Maybe that's more skullets or cul-de-sacs, but the contest will run through August 31st if you want to get in on it and uh, and show off your flow. Um, I'm willing to bet that there are some shift heads out there that have some wicked malaise, if you want to make them fancy, uh, to share. We have time for one more. Are you okay with fireworks? Yes. Yes, I haven't seen any, though, because I missed out on Canada Day this year. Uh, but uh, I love a good fireworks show, especially on a holiday where people put way too much time and effort into making things go boom in the sky. Driving through the United States of America, Wisconsin, North Dakota, all those places. Last week, I have to tell you, the most amazing thing about it was in the middle of nowhere, a giant box store, Fireworks. Not just a just little fireworks. stand. Nope, not a little stand on the side of the road. Not like uh, here's a little place in a strip mall. This is a completely independent box store. If you imagine like a Princess Auto size store or a Napa or like these are good size stores. 
and they are all fireworks. So let us take this moment to allow Katy Perry to get us started. Uh, don't let your fireworks burn too brightly, though. Police say damage is estimated at roughly a million dollars after a firework tipped over and launched into a hay barn during a going-away party in central Elgin, Ontario. Roughly 50 family members and the property owner gathered on Sunday for a going-away party for a family member. Gotta have fireworks. OPP said the central Elgin and Southwold fire departments were called out to the property just after 11 p.m. when things got good. The owners of the residence were hosting the celebration, included a fireworks, private fireworks display, which I don't think is possible because, I mean, really everyone can see it. During the display, one particular firework tipped over and launched into a hay barn, set it on fire. No injuries were reported, million dollars of damage, buildings, farm implements, and other equipment affected by the fire. And the public is reminded, that's you, to make sure that you're following local bylaws when using backyard fireworks and make sure they follow safety procedures like... Shoot them up, not to the side. Now, I did not buy fireworks. I did not think I could bring them across the uh, border. I did not want to ask that question. I did not go into the stores. It seemed like they were all very closed, considering we were driving on a Saturday. Found that interesting, but um, successful enough to be open in a giant store in the middle of nowhere. And uh, makes me curious. This is the Shift Podcast. When, I don't want to say disaster strikes because it hasn't arrived yet, but when the threat of crisis, urgency, whichever word is best fit, starts to present its ugly head, um, people start to show up. And we have been very lucky here to have some of our global reporters up in Yellowknife. We'll connect with Jamie Dahl here in a bit too and find out what's going on about the nuts and bolts. Well, we have a, um, we have a team member here from Edmonton uh, Brent is here. Uh, Brent Pushkarenko. Did I say that right? Yeah, I got that right. Hey. You got it. Nice. Um, I was either that or I've been saying it wrong for a long time. Um, the, uh, you know, you spent a lot of time working up there in Yellowknife and the radio station. And, um, and here you are, you're in Edmonton, you're at Chad, you're at our sister channel at the global news 880 and, and all of those things, uh, news director. So news is your jam. And, but you lived there, you went through this. I lived in Fort McMurray. My sister was in that fire and got out. I had a bunch of friends that were there. So you're kind of going through what I went through a few years ago with reconnecting and finding out what's going on. And I had asked this of Jamie last night was when everybody left, they took the vehicle that had the most fuel out of Fort McMurray. And then they got to Lacklebish, Athabasca, Grassland, all those places. And they just started running out of fuel. We often don't think of that. So uh, let's get started there, Brent, with um, Yellowknife and just the basics of evacuation. And then I want to hear some of your stories about about you know what it was like up there and, and why this is sort of an integral moment for that community. Thanks for being here, bud. No, oh, it's my pleasure. I'm happy to be here. Just wish it was under different circumstances. Well, no kidding, right? Um, now, there was a there is a service station that was there, but it was already wrecked by fire. Um, if the scenario is this, you're driving. You know, are people going to be able to go far enough and get the fuel in order to continue the drive? I mean, 20,000 people, even if you had four people per car, which would be generous. I mean, you're still looking at 5,000 cars. A bunch of people are flying out, but you kind of get the premise. 
Absolutely. And, uh, you know, a couple of people that I spoke with uh, uh, earlier today, um, they told me about long lineups at gas stations as they were leaving Yellowknife. And uh, this was actually just before the official word came down that there was going to be an official uh, uh, evacuation. Um, so as we can try and paint the picture as to what that looks like coming out of uh, out of Yellowknife, um, that city is one way in and it's one way out. It's not on the main highway in the Northwest Territories, it is off the main highway in the Northwest Territories. So if you think about Yellowknife being approximately, as the crow flies, probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 500 kilometers away from the Alberta border, there is three communities where you can fuel up. And one of those has been pretty much obliterated by fire, and that was at Enterprise. That's the first main service center that you would cross uh, the border into the uh, into the NWT and come to first place where you could get gas, first place you could get a meal, first place you could find uh, a motel room. If you're coming down from Yellowknife, you've got a couple of choices now. So you've got a little community called uh, Pachoco, which used to be called Rayedso. It's roughly an hour outside of Yellowknife. And then from there, the next best place that you can get fuel is Fort Providence, which is roughly three hours away. And the stories that I had heard today is that uh, there was uh, lineups of roughly uh, a kilometer down Highway 3 uh, of uh, vehicles actually getting into uh, Fort Providence to try and get fuel. So that's just an idea as to just what it's like there right now as uh, people uh, during a desperate situation are trying everything they can to get out. One of the attractive things about Yellowknife is the amount of water, right? Great Slave Lake is right there. There's a bunch of little lakes around there. It's quite beautiful. Um, and it's everything that is Canada, including the cold. And um, But in the summertime, the lake's not a problem because people uh, just go where they need to go pretty well, sure the whole lake freezes like to the bottom of the lake it's that cold but in the in the in the winter time in the summertime though you can't do that you actually have to drive up and over because Yellowknife is on the north end of the lake there so you kind of got to go up and over and then all the way around the lake which makes it probably twice twice as far if you live in Toronto and you're trying to go to Niagara Falls that's what we're talking about you got to go around the lake Absolutely. And uh, uh, there's no way to actually go straight across during the uh, the wintertime unless you've got a really good GPS and a really good snowmobile and, uh, and, and that sort of thing. But, uh, but you're right. As the crow flies, you're probably about one third of the distance as opposed to being on the highway and, uh, and that sort of thing. But just, Shane, when you look at, um, at uh, what's happening here now, and I think about what it was like actually to get into Yellowknife, even by highway, uh, before 2012, uh, there was no bridge across the Mackenzie River. It was only a ferry service across the Mackenzie River that took you into Fort Providence. And so uh, from there, it was the three-hour drive up, uh, up up to Yellowknife. So um, the other thing is, is that Highway 3, when I first moved up there in 1997, the highway itself was not completely paved. In fact, they were going through construction. I was in my little sports car. My brother-in-law was uh, driving a truck with uh, all of my life's belongings actually uh, in a trailer behind it and uh, and I remember it was a driving rainstorm and it was so muddy and they were trying to get people to slow down and I was like there's no way I'm slowing down because if I try and slow down on this highway there's no way I'm going to get out and uh, up until 2006 the highway was not completely paved all the way uh, to Yellowknife so there are 
there is quite a bit uh, more infrastructure as there was, uh, you know, uh, as there was when I first moved up there. But uh, that just gives you an example of just how important that new infrastructure is at a time like this, because everybody that I have spoken to, people who have lived up there for 30, 40 plus years, they say they have never seen a situation this dire. So here in the middle of nowhere, there's really one way in, one way out. They've given some time. They thought they were going to be able to make it, right? There was a they, they were like, um, this is getting bad. And then the conversation was like, I think we're going to be okay. And then we're not. So that fire itself is, if I understand, on the east side of the water. But it doesn't take much for it to come around because it's all pretty darn close. So what's the tone from... Uh, friends, colleagues, family that, you know, you've sort of adopted over the years trying to get out because the, the, the benefit is you've got a day and a half. The problem is you've got a day and a half to think about it, right? So that's got to be weighing on people. How are they doing? Well, as far as I know, uh, I think they're doing as best as best that they can. Um, interestingly enough, most of the people that I spoke to today who were like, you know, my personal connections when I lived up there, uh, they had actually been out of town for one reason or another. I spoke to uh, uh, one uh, business owner from Yellowknife. She happened to be in Vancouver for a conference, but she was aware uh, days out, especially when we saw what had happened in uh, Enterprise last week and obviously the threats that were happening in Hay River. Uh, they knew that there was the threat that, uh, that, that was there. So she's in Vancouver. She's waiting for the rest of her family to arrive uh, there. I spoke to another uh, former colleague actually in radio. She's currently down in the Kootenays. Uh, she said her son left uh, just moments before uh, the evacuation order was given on uh, Wednesday evening and uh, he headed south. He drove all night. It took roughly 12 to 13 hours to get into high level which is normally an eight-hour drive from uh, from Yellowknife and, oh. um, and then as I say I spoke to a former uh, member of the Legislative Assembly and Cabinet Minister, who is currently the chair of the NWT Human Rights Commission. I spoke to him. He described everything as actually being very orderly. He said, sure, it was a lot busier on the highway than you normally see it. But he described everything as being, you know, uh, pretty much bumper to bumper, but nobody was really showing a lot of speed or anything like that. Obviously, there was uh, the big lineup of uh, of cars at Fort Providence trying to get fuel. But everybody that I had spoken to, there was no negativity that I had heard from anyway. But, uh, you know, there was obviously the concern. And if you're trying to explain to people exactly what Yellowknife is, is, is like, there are trees, but they're not really big trees. They're very narrow trees. Don't expect to see what you would see on Vancouver Island or even up mm. in uh, central British Columbia, up in the Prince George area or, or, or that sort of thing. What you seem to uh, see there is, is very small trees, very much the Canadian Shield type topography. So a lot of rock, there's a lot of lake uh, area around there. But in speaking to people, the one thing that was spoken about was the last time that there was big fire in the area of around Yellowknife did not prompt any kind of an evacuation back in 2014, but there was some talk of actually there should be a fire guard that should have been built around the community. Because since 2014, there's been really no fire or anything like that, but the summers have gotten dry. When I was living up in Yellowknife, uh, you know, uh, between 1997 and 2002, um, there were 
we, we started to notice that the change in seasons would start to come in in uh, in in middle of uh, of August. Um, really, twenty degree temperatures really were were not very common. But now we're seeing there's a lot more a uh, lot more warm weather and that sort of thing. So situations like this in the summertime, as that weather changes, and I mean, I guess it's one of those things. If it had been four weeks later, maybe we're totally in a different conversation, aren't we? I mean, because you know, fall up there, the summer season's short, call it for what it is. And so that this, this is totally different if we plus four weeks onto this conversation. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, like I was saying that uh, like, you know, once August hits that, you know, normally at least from my recollection, actually being up, uh, up in the North, um, things would start to get really, really warm. And uh, like, you know, about the middle of June and when the heat arrives up there it just sets right in because there's only about an hour hour and a half of dusk every night right and uh, and that sort of thing but once things start to get back to a more normal night and day uh as we get into the middle of uh, of august actually it starts to really really cool off but just looking at the long-range forecast actually it's looking like edmund or make that uh, yellow knife is expecting temperatures still in the low 20s and that was just completely unheard of when i was up there uh, 20 years ago so it is it, it is uh, difficult, I imagine, for everybody to get out. And I know that some friends at the airport here uh, tonight, there's four or five flights that have already arrived. There's more that are coming. There are all kinds of people getting moved. It seems organized. And hopefully the fire doesn't rip through town because that, that workload in itself is is staggering. But we're not seeing this crushing blow of emergency evacuation. I guess maybe we cross our fingers and hope that we, it's doubtful. But maybe we're actually learning lessons here from things that have happened. I, I, I find it somewhat encouraging, although I feel like that's unfair to say from a distance when people are going through this. But I, I guess both can coexist. I, I think so. And, and because like, you know, the Yellowknife has been known actually as that sort of evacuation center for whenever there is any kind of an emergency in the Northwest Territories. Like Yellowknife is used to being on the other side of this. They're used to being there to house residents of Hay River whenever there is any kind of a flood or from some of the smaller communities whenever there is any kind of a wildfire threat. This is the first time that we've seen something from Yellowknife, but we've also, uh, you know, we've seen actually quite a few evacuations, especially here in in Alberta uh, earlier this year, where there was roughly a grand total of 20,000 people combined that had been chased away from their homes. I mean, the largest communities that uh, that were were affected were, you know, Edson with a population of roughly 8,000, uh, Drayton Valley roughly with a population of about of about 6,000, but nothing on this scale of 20,000 and nothing on this scale of being that remote and that far away from the nearest service. There's some uh, pretty great companies up there that have been invested locally. I guess this is a bit of a speculation question, Brent, but, you know, you spent time up there, you know, you've got the Buffalo Airways and, you know, their TV show and their airplanes and, you know, the Bush Pilot Monument that's there flying is such an integral part of what that community looks like because it is such a heartbeat for the area probably shouldn't surprise you uh, when you hear these stories about these these airlines and, and these groups that are basically just get at these bodies in planes and, and get these people out of here because we we need to go and and the flights are the flights are moving. 
Uh, they, they are moving, and it's interesting that you mentioned Buffalo Airways because not only do they do uh, uh, commercial flights actually with passengers, they shuttle an awful lot of goods up and down the Mackenzie Valley into various areas right across uh, right across Canada's north. And there's also a fairly large uh, uh, wildfire fighting base actually right in Yellowknife, and it is actually you know the centerpiece for whenever anything is needed uh, in in Canada's north. But you're exactly right. Everybody does rely on uh, on on airfare to get out of uh, to get out of uh, Yellowknife, and uh, it, it is a fairly large airport. It's fairly strategic, obviously, given its location. Um, I recall back in 2001 when uh, 9/11 happened, and uh, and Yellowknife actually housed a number of uh, uh, of uh, people who. We, you know, we're on board uh, a large aircraft that was en route from uh, uh, Tokyo to Seattle, and uh, Yellowknife had to put those residents up for roughly four days. And that's a time that, you know, I look back actually with uh, quite a lot of fondness because that was the first time that I won a, a national RTNDA award was for our coverage, actually, of what happened uh, back in uh, back in 2001. And interestingly enough, too, is uh, from uh, Ward Air fame, uh, Max Ward. That was his home, actually, up in Yellowknife. And during my oh. time up there, actually, he was flying uh, a float plane. Uh, that actually crashed into Yellowknife Bay, you know, during the time that I was up there. So, um, yeah, it's it's a it's a community that is very heavily dependent on and uh, on uh, on aviation uh, for people. Now, just to add to this, at the time of our conversation, um, looking at the airplanes, there are uh, looks like four or five that are flying, um, fighting the fire. Um, there's a couple of Buffalo planes that are west of town, not a aware of they're doing a lot of circling i'm not aware of if they're maybe they're sort of bird dogging looking for flights or fires and then there's another helicopter there sort of west on the highway when you look at the flights that are going in one two three four five six seven flights right now uh large planes that are currently north of fort mcmurray on a straight beeline for um for Yellowknife. there's a plane in hay river um, so you can even see those ones. What's this one? Oh, that's an emergency. That's a De Havilland one. That's a government one. There's a couple of small ones going up. Um, a couple of beach airs. There's a WestJet 737 on its way there right now. There is um, uh, a North Caribou uh, Air Dash 8 that it's on its way back and a WestJet uh, Dash 8 that's also on its way back. You know, And that doesn't include you know, like the summit flights and all these other ones that are, they're coming in and out. So the planes are coming and the planes are leaving and they're getting the people out. It's been quite impressive throughout the entire day today, but I guess that is kind of what Yellowknife is, right? Exactly. West, WestJet, we reported earlier in the day that uh, WestJet actually uh, put in one additional flight uh, during the day today. They uh, increased the size of the planes on two other regular flights uh, as yeah. well. And, uh, and it is really a, a race against time actually, because uh, they are talking about closing the airport on Friday and Saturday is just more of a safety precaution than anything. Uh, WestJet, with the announcement of the expansion of services today, did say that they were going to be uh, canceling six flights uh, between Yellowknife and Calgary on Friday and Saturday. Yeah, which, I mean, they've got to at some point, right? Um, to make sure that there's nobody at the airport that doesn't need to be at the airport. Absolutely. Um, so there's got to be a line somewhere. This is fascinating. Brent, thank you so much for the insight. Um, I look forward to chatting again, and uh, everything looks like it's going okay. The drivers are doing okay, and you have to remember that the only person who actually perished from the Fort McMurray fire died in a car crash, right? So 
uh, and that was on the 880 highway. So these are things that matter and these little details matter and, and make sure that they have a spot. I know that Calgary, there was a, a QR had released, uh, done the release 5,000 people or something they're putting up here. So uh, pretty amazing. Absolutely. Pretty amazing what we do. Thanks for the time, man. Appreciate it. Pleasure was all mine. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.